Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundromat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. I thought I was Is the sound loud enough? Is it good enough? This is a new mic, so I'm just concerned. Sounds pretty good. Okay. Um, I, I have the, the filter on in the back uh, because, as I said, the cats are on their bullshit again. So if, if you if you hear one, especially Domino, you hear her going, she's old, so she's she's not quite senile yet. She hasn't descended into the depths of of complete madness, but she's she she has her moments of going, rah, 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 and so you might hear that going on in the background. I have had my share of older cats. I've had a couple of um, unfixed cats. So I've, oh I've, no, yeah, I've grown up with some things. <laughs> Oh, she's going on. I hope you can't hear that. I had a cat um, angry enough to jump over me one time. That was crazy. <laughs> Were you standing or sitting? I was kind of starting to crouch down. So I was at like three fourths height. <laughs> like, uh, and she just took a run at me and ran straight. I think she was going for my throat or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> but oh, no. she, she went right over me. And Oh, uh, no. Was she the cat ooh. that wasn't fixed? Yes. Oh no! That was the height of um, heat, I guess. <laughs> so well, you you can tell you can tell everybody that is your survival story. Yeah, it's a wonder. It really is a wonder that I survived. Um, yeah, so, sorry so much for all the uh, rescheduling and everything. As I said, we had a we had a flood that wiped away our studio and our home. So we're living a bit al fresco at the moment. I'm in I'm in the office. Luis is actually at looking at a new place. And I'm sitting in my office, which is a wreck because anything that survived, we had to put in here. So it's all just boxes and bags and it's very unglamorous. My God. Well, we, we should, well, thank you for uh, persevering through, through all that and uh, still doing a call. Um, that, that I can do. Don't, don't ask me to be on camera cause you don't want to see this mess, but, um, it, but calls are always fine. It's just, it's just now a matter of uh, having to find a good time for like a solid hour of your time. That's the difference. For the uh, listener, I should have you start by introducing yourself, and we can kind of go from there. Hello, my name is Michelle Franklin. I am the lead writer for Spaceboat, a new narrative investigative adventure game. That's going to be put out by Recombobulator Games, which is here in Montreal. Recombobulator is such a cool name. (laughs) We we actually were going to call it something else. Uh, I think we had... So I don't know if you're familiar. So even though Montreal is the sort of North American capital of video games... Um, we have very interesting language laws. So if you are going to make a company here, uh, you need to abide by the bilingual laws. And so your name has to work in both French and English. And we were going to have googly eyed games and we even had the logo ready for it and everything. And that did not pass the test. How folks like tribute games and, uh, all the other small indie games that are like, uh, uh, that, that are here, and, uh, and and they do just fine with, with random words, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they got around it. But uh, so we had to come up with a word that was worked both in French and English. And this is this is the one that uh, that we settled on. That's fascinating. I had no idea that was a thing. There are ways you can get around it. Um, if you have your HQ in different different countries. So, for example, Ubisoft 
uh, even though they're, their HQ is in France, but their main office is here in Montreal. So uh, if you put your HQ in a different country, you don't have to abide by the French and English laws here. Uh, it also depends on how many people you have in your company. So if you have, I believe the number is now, uh, if you have more than 50 people in your company, you don't have to uh, abide by certain laws. But for the name of the company, for the trademark, you uh, you have to have it work in French and English if you are registered here. In huh. uh, in Canada, yeah, you're in Minneapolis, or is or are you in Missouri? Uh, Missouri, uh, St. Yeah, Louis, okay. so not St. Paul. I, I get oh, that oh, a lot. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, Missouri. Uh, around here, uh, well, in the U.S., I should say, uh, we do have. I think in most states, we do have sort of a version of that where, uh, not the name, but if you have under a certain number of employees, mm -hmm. certain laws do and don't apply to you, typically about uh, employment and uh, labor laws, things like that. And and it's usually a much lower number, like oh, 15, some, something like that. But okay. uh, nothing dictating, you know, what can and can't be your name based on... on uh, on language. So that that's interesting. Oh, um, oh, honey, it's a long history. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It, yeah, it's a long history there. I mean, it, th things have, are different now, especially with, uh, you know, international business, online business, globalization. But it's, uh, it, it is, as the kids say, it is a thing that has happened uh, over the last, I would say, maybe 50 years uh, of our particular history here in Canada. Um, yeah. language laws, people, people being proud of different languages, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you wow. do. I can, again, I can hear, I, I hope you can't hear that, but Do Domino has decided to chime in on the conversation in the background. She's, she's actually the star of Spaceboat. Uh, so she's, <laughs> oh. she's getting her diva fix in. Because I, I saw this, I saw that the, the main character is basically a, a cat in a mechanical suit, which is yes. awesome. Yes. So, uh, I mean, we we wanted to do um, a uh, a space adventure. We wanted to do an adventure game like the old Space Quest games. Mm -hmm. And but but we I I always say uh, the the great Muppet quote, which is, "Well, put but put more cows and chickens and pigs and whatever." I I like I like absurdist humor. I like the, the Douglas Adams style of uh, of space adventure. Yeah. Um, but uh, we we were sort of looking at what we could do. Uh, with an adventure game that would appeal to many people, but we also wanted to do things that we love. So things like Muppets and uh, mech suits and uh, just crazy things that we really wanted to put in, in the game. Um, it, it's unfortunate because we, we, the more, obviously, you know how it goes, the more, the more you want to do, the, the more your scope increases. And then the more, the more the, uh, the weight increases for putting out demos and things like that. Right. Um, but uh, so the, the the gist of the game is it's an old old school style space adventure game, uh, heavily fo focused on narrative, um, but also with a little bit of commentary about what's going on in the AAA industry today. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if you saw in the um, demo the the paywall that Dale the whale is sitting behind. Uh, obviously, that's a joke. You will mm -hmm. you will not have you will not have to pay to get beyond that wall. But uh, th there is a whole bit of a narrative that goes on with with certain characters and there's a, like I said there's a lot of um uh sarcastic commentary about what's going on in gaming landscape today and uh everybody from our team right now we're only two but uh we came from AAA as many people in the indie sphere have done now I think mm -hmm. uh and we've we've both been on burnout I think Luis has been on burnout maybe three times and over the course of his very long, I think he's been video games for 20 years. I left wow. AAA a while ago to work on books and 
uh, and publish things full time. Uh, but he's he's been in it. He's been in the sauce since the beginning. <laughs> and uh, this is really a passion project for him. This is something that he's always wanted to do because he's worked on Mass Effect. He's worked on Thief. He's worked on Dead Space. He's worked on all these incredible AAA titles. And every time he wanted to do something that was a little bit more off to the left, you know, you couldn't do that. Couldn't do that because no. the the big heads said, nope, no, nope, can't make it silly. Can't make it funny. Has to be serious. Has to be guns. Has to be shooting. So. <laughs> He he was always very disappointed by that. So when he finally decided, after COVID hit, he finally decided, you know what, I've had enough. And uh, he wanted to make his own. He's wanted to make his own company for a while. And um, right now it's him who is, he's, everything that you saw in the trailer, he made by himself. Uh, so Crazy. all the, yeah, all the, all the Muppet shaders, all the procedurally generated uh, crowds, the dialogue system. Everything that you saw in the trailer, he made by by himself, by hand, in Unreal. And um, uh, I just, I'm just i just here along for the writing. That's what I do. And for a promotion of the game. And uh, we, have, we have another animator who uh, hasn't done any work yet because uh, we're, we're still waiting for this whole, this whole COVID nonsense to be over. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then, like I said, and then the biblical flood came and washed away our house. So we, we've, done, we've done as much as we can with the time that we've had. And we're really, we're really proud about the trailer. Uh, and we, we hope people like it and enjoy it. We hope people see the, the humoristic side in it. Um, uh, we, I know that Luis was concerned that, uh, some people who know him from his Mass Effect days might be expecting something serious. And then <laughs> obviously I, I joked and said, well, you know, you can, ro- I, I can make it so this way you can romance the ship. There's oh God. That's <laughs> you can romance Nehi. Why not? There's, there's nothing that says you can't. <laughs> if uh, Wanda can have vision. We can have a romance ship. That's that seems fair. <laughs> um, wow, I it's been a long time since I've done an interview where I had a moment like this where there were so many directions I wanted to go at the same time. Uh, we <laughs> so we're at a crossroads here. I I definitely want to talk about the trailer that just came out. You mentioned <laughs> you mentioned the paywall shot in yep. the uh, trailer. I thought it was very clever that you showed that, but then immediately after that you showed a, a screen that made it clear there is no. Uh, I think it said slimy AAA monetization in the game. Yes, <laughs> nothing. No AAA monetization. It one and done. You buy it, you play it. That's it. That was my first uh, clue that there was going to be a lot of strong commentary about the industry. And uh, because, wow, you, you do have such a rich history on the team already be- between you. Uh, I mean, that's, it, you know, 20 years of these these giant titles and stuff. Did did you guys meet while you were doing game development? Or we just- did. We met. Uh, oh, God. I'm old now. I'm almost 40. Luis is 44. So. <laughs> well, um, late 30s, so, mid 30s, so. You young, actually, no, we're probably the same age. I say, I say that. I say that we're probably the same age. Um, but uh, yeah, we did. We met. We worked at uh, DC Studios. He had actually just come from television. He ah. was an animator uh, and a tech artist for television. He worked on things like Fred the Caveman, uh, and he worked at Tube Studios. And uh, he came to DC Studios, and I came in as a game designer, junior game designer. This is God. This is fifteen, sixteen years ago now, yeah. and. Uh, and we were friends for a really long time, and we just really, we just really enjoyed deliciating over games. And I mean, eventually, eventually things happened. Took a while because <laughs> yeah. we were both being dumb. But uh, and then and now we're uh, we've been married for a very long time, and now we're making games together. 
And now I'm his producer kicking him in the bum, (laughs) (laughs) telling him to finish everything by Friday. I like that. I have a very long history with my wife, too. I met her when I was, I think, I can't remember if it was 12 or 13. You better remember. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I know. (laughs) But uh, she had a couple of years on me, which is a big deal when you're that age. So obviously I I didn't let on that, you know, hey, there's this, you know, cute girl I like. Uh, So we went our separate ways and came back together over... uh, God help us. We reconnected over Facebook and, uh, but you know, it's fantastic. So we've, we've been around, uh, one another and married for some time now too. So I, I like stories like that. Very cool. <laughs> DC studios has kind of an interesting history. I was kind of looking at that cause I, I thought that must be where at least he came from based on yes. the, the games I was able to look up that he had credits on. And, uh, so <laughs> he's gotten to work on mass effect, which is very cool, obviously, but he's yeah, also he done. He worked on he worked on Mass Effect. He came in at the end of two. He worked on Mass Effect three and all the DLCs. Nice. So, uh, and his his work is clearly fantastic based on the the trailer I've seen for uh, Space Boat. It's just just awesome stuff in the Unreal Engine. And uh, but he's also gotten to work on. It looks like uh, I see here Bratz. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So when when we were at DC, we were we were doing old school PS two era games. So he did Bratz. He did GBA Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, what else did he work on? VeggieTales. We were Tales, I mean, yeah. DC Studios was kind of like a dump studio at the time. It was a studio that was contracted by by play, big places like Disney when um, uh, the Disney Interactive was kind of being phased out. Or was it Buena Vista Interactive? I think it was. Uh, and so DC Studios was a studio that would take on third-party title. They, they, we were a third-party developer for right. first-party studios. And we would do all those kinds of things. So Bratz and Winks as well. Winks was a big one. Mm. Um, oh, God. We, we had so many, so many. VeggieTales, Chicken Little, that's what it was. We, were, we, worked, with, we worked at Disney a lot uh, mm. for all their GBA and uh, PS2 titles. So we, the thing is that we all have I, – I did, I did a, a game called uh, Digata, Digata Defenders for a show that was on for one season here in Canada. Oh. And – so there, there are a lot of there are a lot of little ga- as it is with any any game career. You start wherever you can, and 16, 17 years ago, that was that was big stuff to be working for Disney on on those titles. Nowadays, you go eh, whatever. <laughs> but back then, oh no, yeah, because that's when I sort of got into all the games and everything. And so back then, I remember very well. It's like this is a big deal. These tie-in games now, it's almost like. You know, uh, everybody's working with a, an indie or a small studio on something. Uh, it's still very cool. I mean, that that you would get to do something like this. But back then, it was a big deal. And I'm not surprised that uh, that kind of track record led to the opportunity to go do, you know, Mass Effect and, and you know, Need for Speed and stuff like that. So, Oh, yeah, that's right. He did. He did. He worked on Need, Need for Speed when he was at EA. He also did Boogie. He was responsible for a lot, all of the like rigs and animation uh, uh, tools for, for Boogie. Back on the Wii, he ought to do more writing about his part of this as well. I think I think it'd be really interesting to find out Good more luck, about Todd. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know how long I've been poking him for that. He he does. He used to teach at uh, the College of Dawson here in Montreal. He he taught uh, all of uh, tech tech animation, tech art animation, uh, rigging. Um, so he, he did that for quite a while and I know he's done talks for, uh, was it a conference, GDC, 
He's, he's done talks for a lot. He, I think he put in for SIGGRAPH, but he was actually for one of the white papers, but they actually turned him down for a talk. Huh. Um, but he he's uh, he he actually has his tech online for people to download for free. If you go to baconstrip.com, it's a the bacon strip rig is part of his old X rig that he invented and uh, that was used for uh, the early Mass Effect games that was used for uh, uh, Dead Space, et cetera. So you can download that tech for free. I think I'm pretty sure it's still up there. I don't think I don't think it would have been taken down. Um, but he he's always been about he's always been anti AAA. He always wants to give the things that he has invented away to other people to use. And I'm the one who's saying no. You should sell it to <laughs> you should sell it to uh, to Max or to Maya because they need they need these things. They need better animation tools and all this stuff. But he would rather give it away to young people who are looking to get into the industry and do good things with it rather than giving it to the corporate jerks who are going to you know, charge a million dollars for it. So that's why he, uh, he, he, he spends all of his time making tools. That's why he doesn't necessarily write about these things. But if you go to bacon, uh, bacon strip rig or baconstrip.com, you can download his tools for free. That is a pretty huge episode bonus here that uh, people are getting. <laughs> so uh, that's extremely I, cool. I think there's a there's a version of a license that if you wanted to use it uh, for a game, I think he asks for like a donation or something. But you'll see on the site, Bacon Strip Rig or BaconStrip.com and you'll, you'll find it. Just look it up. Very interesting. Very cool. So, wow. Uh, and, and you have a couple of popular books on uh, Amazon at least, right? I hope so. Or else what am I doing here? <laughs> I have. I actually just I did, did a, a private signing and I saw books that I hadn't seen. I had completely forgotten that I had written uh, wow. that I haven't seen for about 10 years. I have I have about 24 books published with three different publishers, one of them no longer active. Um, thanks, COVID. But um, oh God, yeah. uh, it's, it was bound to happen. There are a lot of publishers who resisted going completely digital. And I as a as a book collector myself, I do not like going completely digital, sure. but I like offering it for people who need it. Um, but for publishers who didn't do it, it's very difficult for them to survive. My One of my main publishers, Pendlehaven Press, that uh, does the Fate of the Norns games, um, they survived because of their digital sales, because they used to sell about 70% of their uh, revenue at trade trade shows and conventions. That was their big, their big moneymaker was conventions. And obviously, we haven't had any of those. So um, yeah, I've had I write, I write many different things. I write uh, nonfiction books, uh, which are humorous and very derisive. Um, I, if you like Fran Leibowitz, you'll probably like them. Uh, I write I write for like I said I write for Fate of the Norns. I'm working on a new book for Mindel the Missionary. I did uh, uh, creatures from fairy tale and myth together with Ed Greenwood and James Kerr, and so we're all now writing books based on the characters that are in that book. And we're actually going to be showcasing it at GaryCon next weekend. Um, so join us there. Join us at uh, join us at uh, GaryCon online because we can't meet in person. Online, and you'll be yeah. able to and you'll be able to see everything. They have a huge Discord going, so you'll be able to see everything that we're talking about. I'll be there. Ed Greenwood will be there. Everybody from Pendlehaven will be there. Steve Jackson's going to be there. It's going to be great. Well, um, yeah, that's a good get, Steve Jackson. Yeah, I I didn't know about that until yesterday. My publisher told me, and I had that moment yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no i have to fix my hair and get, get ready um, <laughs> but uh so I, I do that for pendlehaven press and then i have my own series of fantasy books the meriden novellas and um and uh, the fragrant series so 
if you like Discworld, you might like it. It's humorous again. It's humorous and a bit. It uh, sometimes has has a bit of romance in it, but not much. Um, very, very Discworld esque. Uh, th- that's what I do. And sometimes on on the side, I do write video games. I've written uh, for quite a few over the years. Uh, I did in the last ten years. I've done mostly PC games, but I met Luis doing DS and uh, and GBA and uh, and PS2 titles. Yeah, very nice. Let's talk about our sponsor, App Figures. App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you track competitors from downloads and dollar amounts to audience demographics and even which SDKs they use. Their competitor intelligence gives you great context. If a competitor adds a new feature or gets mentioned in the news, App Figures can tell you if that brought in more downloads. If you have an idea for a new app or a game, App Figures can tell you how big the market is and how much money it could make you. That is just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your app or building a new one, App Figures has the tools you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. You don't need a huge budget or a data science degree. App Figures has made it affordable and simple. They provide the tools and they can guide you step by step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. Head to appfigures.com slash on slash gamedevbreakdown to try AppFigures for free. If you like it, use our special code GDB3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. So, and now you're going to ride Spaceboat on top of everything. So, uh, <laughs> And this seems tricky, actually, because I'm sure you both have quite a strong vision for what you want to go into this. So, I mean, uh, is this a combined effort on the on the writing or is it mostly you or, or what's going to going to happen? Well, um, I'm the one who's pushing for more strange characters, but he he's he, he's like that on his own. He as I said, we wanted to make it a very sort of friendly looking uh, game, lots of Muppets, cats strange aliens, things like that. So he he's really driving the vision of the and on all the art of of Spaceboat. I'm I'm on the tail end uh, just asking, okay, what do you want me to write? So for example, he uh, we decided we wanted to have a a, a Karen bot, uh, a character <laughs> that she her name if you look at her name tag, it says Karen in Leedspeak. And uh, she and she has a little bob that that goes up and down and she oh. looks she, yeah, she she's she's the sec- a secretary. Uh, that you have to get past at what the, in one of the early stages of the game, and um, so I, I, at first we we wanted to have an annoying character, and so then I I started writing her lines, you know, think things like, well, if you want to speak to the manager, I am the manager, and th- things like oh, that, God. <laughs> really ridiculous thing. So if he 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 comes up with the character, and then I will, and then I usually write. Uh, whatever the character need, needs to have for dialogue and uh, things like that, but also doing the uh, all the technical stuff, the technical writing for the UI. So I just I wrote out uh, the entire uh, part of the tutorial, which is not implemented yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, so really, he is the one who's uh, going forward with the vision of what Spaceboat is and and where it should go. Uh, I did. I did the game design document, but we'll see again. That one of the reasons why uh, a lot of AAA studios don't like when devs talk about games early on is because what's in the game, as you know, what's in the design document and what is, uh, and what's actually in the game at the end can, are very two sometimes two very different things. So we have we have things uh, in the design document that we would love to implement, but we have to see how development goes. Um, so I, I put ideas in there that he will either implement or not depending on uh, how scheduling goes, how 
how just development goes, if we, we can get anybody to help us. Uh, and whether or not we get funding. Ah, yeah. funding. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's on my list of questions, too, because it, it looks like you're hoping for crowdfunding. But I mean, what's the plan overall? Well, we put in for we put in for quite a few funding ventures, most of which we got turned down from because we couldn't get the uh, the prototype ready in time. Oh. Um, but uh, um, we ever since we had the flood, we actually did a, a crowd because Luis is always he he did he didn't want to do crowdfunding because he felt that the the game should stand on its own and he he's never one to ask for money he doesn't like asking for money uh, i do agree with him to a certain extent because it's always the people who don't have much who give the most and we yeah. we both have guilty consciences and we don't like asking for for that kind of thing um but um considering everything that's happened with with the flood that we had in the studio um we actually asked for help because hey our insurance is being ridiculous, of course. So uh, we asked if anybody would help, and we ended up getting an enormous response. We were completely overwhelmed and blown away. Well, so we decided, okay, maybe, maybe if once we have the demo out, we will be able to offer a demo, and if people like it, then they can, then they'll be able to uh, pay for it or give money, whatever they would like to do. Um, so we don't know when there's going to be a Kickstarter yet. We're waiting to hear back from two other venture funding ventures. And if both of those are a no, then we'll kickstart probably sometime in the summer. Yeah. And I know it's the busiest time when you're trying to get those meetings and those calls and stuff, which is one reason I, uh, when, when you said you're getting different calls and meetings and stuff, I thought that's all probably very, very important. So, you know, uh, no, not really. <laughs> no, it's not really. As, as I said to you, when, uh, when I said, I hope you don't mind talking to a writer, but wait, when you're a writer, the meetings are never important. It, it's always something that could have been an email, a message, especially now with uh, with COVID, you know, the whole joke before COVID in the BC times before COVID, <laughs> the whole joke was this could this meeting could have been an email. And now it's right. this, this zoom call could have been an email. I definitely so. agree with that because I'm, <laughs> I'm helping a kindergartner on zoom. So I, I get it. <laughs> that's my life. <laughs> and I mean, really, that's another reason we couldn't speak earlier is because uh, I have a full-time job called, Make sure this kid doesn't fail kindergarten. Mm, but, but okay, so the the laws here, at least in Canada, are that um, you don't a child does not have to legally uh, attend school until first grade. It is it is uh, expected that they will go to nursery and kindergarten and all that stuff. But especially with COVID, a lot of parents here because they can keep. It, once they're in that age group, they can keep their kids home. Whereas if you're in first grade, you can't. You must send your child to school. Uh, so it, is is that not possible at all? Say your child has to go to kindergarten and learn ABCs? <laughs> uh, short answer, yes. For us, the distinction is preschool. They don't okay. have to do preschool. I, did, I didn't do preschool as a kid. Um, our, our son did do preschool. And mm -hmm. the very end of it, of course, was shut down by the pandemic. And... Uh, we're doing all of kindergarten remotely. So yeah, uh, when I say fail kindergarten, I think that's mostly a joke. I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they do need to have some sort of credit for having attended it. So they sort of know what's going on for first grade. So okay, I see. 
Mm, standardized learning. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we, you know, this is about that time when parents have that discussion, like, is there any chance we want to homeschool in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's we almost kind of went that direction. And uh, ultimately, I think it's going to be better for him to get back to school next year. Uh, next school year, of course, we're we're nowhere close. We're in one of the worst states for vaccination and we're way behind everything. So um, hopefully by the fall, we're ready okay. to do this. You know, we'll we'll have to see, of course. Well, he'll be in first grade in the fall, right? Yeah, first first oh, okay. grade in the fall. So I think he'll be I think we'll we'll have it under control by then. <laughs> if not, you know, just do lessons over Minecraft like all the cool teachers are doing. See, it's funny, before we, uh, before he was even in school, I was doing, um, we have, well, I guess everybody has the code.org organization where technical people can like volunteer their time to do uh, presentations for schools mm-hmm. and help with coding and stuff. I had done several of those before it was even school time for him. So I saw some of the schools around here and um, I, I would love to do that. I, I'm I'm not a highly educated person beyond my associate's degree for uh, for programming, but uh, I love teaching. I love stuff like that, so it didn't bother me. But yeah, the Minecraft thing is actually pretty cool. It is uh, the the things that I've seen children. I I tutor kids. Some, well, I used to tutor kids, but before before the plague hit, right? And uh, the they would they really responded to that. They love they love learning things in Minecraft and. As as long as as long as you can do it over a Minecraft server, it's learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or anything else. I mean, I've seen I've seen teachers hold hold uh, classes in Warcraft. It, you, <laughs> you do you do what you can with the tools that you have, and I I think I think it's interesting. There's um uh, what's his name Zach? He does uh, was it Hey Listen Games I think, and he talks about how to use uh, games as teaching tools, and mm. um I th- I think that's brilliant because. Whenever I, when I used to teach younger kids, um, I always used to say to the parents, "Oh, I don't, I don't like that my child plays games." I'd say, "Well, just give them a different type of game. Give them Final Fantasy VI, where they have to read millions of lines of dialogue. It's reading and it's problem solving. You know, <laughs> that is reading. It, that's for sure. It, it works. Or give if you're worried that your child is bored, give them Minecraft. It is, it, it's low key civil engineering. Just let them, let them build stuff and let them figure things out." You know, or give them a project to build. So there, right. there are many ways that you can use games as as learning tools. I think I'm a fan of that. I've always been a fan of that. Um, <laughs> you mentioned before the plague. From your perspective, I'm sure it literally feels that way because you've not only had this uh, disease sweep across the globe, but you've also been flooded out of your home. So this yeah. is as apocalyptic <laughs> as it gets for you. And I was so sorry to hear that, but. Uh, I mean, how far along was this project when that happened? I mean, how long have you been dealing with it? It sounds terrible. So that happened about, I would say, maybe a little over six weeks ago. Okay. Um, we had one small flood uh, way back in August. And it did wasn't much. It was just maybe about a couple of inches. And usually we are in an area that does not flood. So it was very, it was very strange. I don't know if you're familiar with the island of Montreal, but uh, every every March, usually, um, we get, we do get floods, uh, but, uh, they're usually either in the Northwestern part or the Southwestern part of the Island. Uh, just, just because it's all the snow melt that mm-hmm. rushes in at once. And then the snow melt from up North comes down the river and then obviously everything floods. Um, but we are in an area that doesn't flood. We're pretty central. And so when that happened, it was kind of strange and they, the city was already going to come and 
and investigate and redo the floors. And then there was, uh, we had a day, the, the, the one thing that is very unfortunate about winter here is that um, pipes break when things go below minus 15. So yeah. um, there was one day where it was minus 16 about, and uh, there was a pipe in the middle of the street that uh, exploded and flooded not only our place, but every single home around it. And nobody really knew. what. We, so because we actually have a curfew here, no one was outside and no one saw what was going on until it was too late. And by then all the, the homes were flooding and everybody had to flee. And Ooh, um, yeah. yeah, and the water was about four feet high before anybody uh, was reported it. So th- wow. again, because nobody was outside. Uh, and then suddenly when, when you started hearing, oh my God, what's going on? People yeah. jumping out of their, people leaving, jumping out of their windows and everything. Um, and the fire department, when they came, because there was so much water, it took them a long time to find the source. Uh, so now there's a giant hole in the street, and <laughs> the house is completely unlivable. But um, uh, we, the, the, the amazing story is that uh, Luis was able to salvage the heart. So this, this is what makes it even worse. As the flood was happening, we were doing offshore backup for space boat. The, oh. offshore, the, the, the offshore backup failed in the oh, middle no. of the flood and we didn't and we didn't know about it until later so he took he took whatever he could and the water was pouring in and he jumped out the window and uh and he we went okay well we'll see what happens when this is over and we found out that the offshore backup had failed so we had to dig the hard drive out of the computer which was under a solid wall of ice oh. and we got the hard drive out western digital black and uh, we dried it out for 72 hours. We took it to a specialist. And amazingly, amazingly, it was fine. And wow. we were, yeah, it was really, uh, that was, uh, we, we were, he was panicking over it because he thought the offshore backup failed. That's it. Or, or rather, offsite backup failed. That this is, it's over. Our project is, is done. And uh, it was fine. It took, it took about two days to extract absolutely everything from the Unreal folder, but his project, all his work, everything was okay. So we were able to continue from that. But then it took, but the computer was gone. The rest of the computer was scrapped. So we had to get, uh, and of course, now with Bitcoin. Thanks, Bitcoin, you jerks. Because of everything that's going on now, hard drives and. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. All of all of the parts that he had for his computer are now twice the price. So wow. he, had, yeah, he had to do with uh, whatever he could get. And that's, and that's what we're working on now. So that that's the flood was bad, but it was everything after that. <laughs> that was, I think, a little bit worse. It was the not knowing whether or not we lost space boat forever. Uh, that was really kid. We had we had a build from Christmas, I think, that could have been used, but he would have lost quite a bit of work. Yeah, that's that's still that's and I've heard a specialist like that to do that kind of extraction costs a fortune. I've never had to do anything like that. We actually, the, the person that we used here, uh, is just, it's right. He just, that's all he does is data extraction. He mm-hmm. has a little slit slot in the door and he comes to the door and he, and he says to you, give me hard drive and you give him the hard drive. Okay. What folder do you want from it? And you say, I want, I want this folder, please. Okay. I give to you two days and he, <laughs> he closes the slot. You come back in two days and he gives it to you on another hard drive and that's it. It's done. And he caught, he charged 400 bucks. For so full extraction, 
Yeah. It was, <laughs> at first, it was very sketchy because we had to go to a building uh, and inside there was a daycare at the bottom and then there was nothing else on the top except for this second floor, one door all the way at the end. It was like walking into the Matrix. And <laughs> he he opened, he opens the door in a hazmat suit because everything inside is perfectly hermetic. So nothing gets, no no hard drives get get destroyed. So he tells you, please leave hard drive there. You have a little, you have a little slot where you have to put it on. And he just asks you a few questions. He writes your name down, tells you to come back. And that's it. It's extremely sketchy, but it absolutely worked. So I'm <laughs> no yeah, good, good enough. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm so glad that uh, it, it went at least that well, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, yes, it, that's the only reason I, th- I think we still have our sanity at this moment. Yeah, I yeah, that would that would absolutely affect my well-being if, if I had that on a project. Um, my first indie game. My son, who really I made the project for him, and Mm -hmm. during the end of the development cycle, he wandered over to a table where my laptop was sitting and basically just pulled it right off the end of the table. And I mean, the screen just exploded. (laughs) So uh, why do you have children again? (laughs) <laughs> he's he's the best but uh my god that was a oh, no, stressful you said but you said but Mm-mm-mm. you can't take that back <laughs> that, everybody knows that was a difficult time for me and uh but really like you said these these things there's a certain degree of uh help in the cloud a lot of my stuff was fine i didn't actually lose very much work over it i mean thank goodness we're at least that far with the technology yeah. that we can uh and we've got much sturdier hardware. Yeah. I've I've lost hard drives uh, twenty years ago that I mean nothing even happened to them. So yeah. I you know I get it. It's it's uh, we've come a long way. I agree. Western Digital makes some pretty awesome stuff. So um, that hard drive was under six feet of of water and ice, and it still survived. I'm I was shocked. I really was. I didn't think it was gonna. I I didn't think it was going to survive, but it did. Unreal. So. Uh, you two have dedicated workspace just for the studio. Is that right? Yes. Yes. We have, because, because I work on about 10 different things at once, mm-hmm. I need to have a dedicated space. Um, also I've been, I've been working from home for about 10 years. So, yeah. uh, th- th- this is, this is my, what I'm used to. So when everybody, because of COVID, everybody had to start working from home. I, nothing changed for me. I was already very well set up. Whereas, uh, Luis who always, even though he did work from home, uh, he needs to have because he uh, creates so much tech. He mm-hmm. needs to have two screens plus his machine and then a rendering machine, etc. So he needs a lot of space for what he does. Um, whereas I really only need a corner. But but because I've been I've been doing this for ten years, the corner has piled up into uh, a tower corner. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah. So I have I have all books and dictionaries and thesauruses and uh, and source work and old books all just stacked up on the side of my desk. But he has he has expensive uh, tech that he needs to use for his work. So he actually needs more space than I do. It's just that I'm a little bit more stubborn about having more dedicated space than he is. I can imagine that. I, well, I mean, I've only done mostly 2D game development and i have a ridiculous office like i have a whole it's like bedroom sized and it's full i've got a a u-shaped desk so like it's almost three desks really 
Um, two, <laughs> two monitors, big speakers. Um, of course, I've got soundproofing for the, the podcast and everything, but I, I get how fast this stuff expands and creeps outward into the house or wherever you are like that. It's really pretty wild, actually. So I get that. In world-defining moments, perspective is everything. The Economist is all about journalism that's rigorously researched, independent, original, and insightful. We interpret developments to reveal the bigger picture, to sharpen your understanding of everything from climate change to voters' rights, the war in Ukraine to the midterm elections. Head to economist.com slash understanding and subscribe to bring the world into focus. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I think you need it, especially if you're working from home. Um, you need to have a designated space. Otherwise, the whole uh, one of a lot of people for, for people who are not used to this, a lot of people have uh, asked me, how do you work from home and not lose your marbles? That actually yeah. because I do have an office um, and, and I do put on pants every day. <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah. really uh, it, having you have the same routine. I, I have the same routine as um, as I would if I were going to an office. I get up do what I need to do. I go, I go grab a coffee outside and then I come to the office. I just come to an office that's within the house, but that space is not permeated by anything else. It is the office. I don't do anything else in here. Whereas I think a lot of other people who were just working on laptops in their living rooms had no, they had no division, no differentiation. So they, they couldn't really, uh, grapple with doing work at home because they had no, uh, no, no, no visual frame of this is the office. This is the living room. This is yeah. where I live. This is where I work. Um, that, and that's really, that's really the only advice I can give to people who are, who are struggling with working from home, having an office that, that no child or pet can get into, <laughs> uh, where you, where you can be alone with your work is paramount. I can't recommend it enough if it's possible. I know for some people it's not possible. Um, but do your best to have, even if it, you just put a folding screen in front of your, your workspace, just something. So this way, uh, you have a, a division between work and home. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I never I'm jealous mind. Now. I want, I want your U-shaped desk. I want your office. Oh, I think I'll, uh, I'll share a tweet where I've probably uploaded it before so you can see it. It's, <laughs> it's really pretty great, <laughs> but, uh, I completely agree with that. Um, I've worked from home for, uh, has it been five years? It's been in the five year range. Mm. Uh, I worked in traditional like software development for over 10 years before that. So, uh, it, it really is. It's a huge adjustment. I, I never mind. Uh, dedicating some time on the podcast or, you know, whatever else I'm doing to trying to help people get through 
that mental adjustment because I'm sure some people still aren't there. Uh, yeah. It's it really will creep in if like you said, if it's that blur between your lifetime and your work time and there's no differentiation, uh, that's the fastest way to really kind of lose it a little bit while you're trying to keep up with it. It will, you'll be thinking about it in your sleep. You'll absentmindedly pull open a document in the middle of the night when you get up. It's, it's a whole thing. Or you, you just, you just work off hours. I mean, I've seen lots of people talked about burnout before, but now that. Uh, everybody's working from home. Greedy corporations will think, oh, you're working from home. You have more time. Therefore, you should be more productive. And I don't think uh, I think it's quite the opposite. I think for certain people, yes, for, for people like me working here without any interruptions, I can write a whole book in a month. And it's wonderful because I have no interruptions. But uh, for people who are working at home and then they have two kids and then they have to tutor their kids or or help them with homework and then they have to do a little bit of work later because, oh, no, they had to take the dog outside in the middle of the day or something like that. The the constant interruption of work when you're working from home, I can understand how difficult that is. And uh, I do feel for people who have bosses who are taking advantage of them saying, oh, well, you know, you're at home. So 7 p.m. you can send me that email, right? When yeah. really you have to you have to establish those boundaries early on. It's nine to five or 10 to six or whatever it is. And then you have to walk out of your office and turn it off. And that's it. Um, yeah. I, I've been a big advocate for remote work for, I mean, since I went indie, because uh, I've quickly found no one would let me do it. Like I wanted to do the indie thing, but I was also curious about like, well, maybe I could contribute to a couple of things mm-hmm. at a studio remotely uh, that would help my, you know, some clout. It would help bring in a little bit of income at the start. That'd be awesome. I would, I would love to do that and quickly mm-hmm. found out no one would even consider it. Yeah. Um, and I wondered at the start of the pandemic, I thought, this could go one of two ways. Like on, on the one hand, nobody wanted remote, remote work in the first place, even though it was proven to be pretty effective when it was done right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still had this weird conception that like, well, if you're at home, you're goofing around, you're not doing anything. Or they'll, they'll say that to you and then they have no problem outsourcing to other places. You don't mm-hmm. know what they're doing. You don't know what outsourcers are doing. That's fine. You can outsource a studio for cheap, but you can't outsource a contractor. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's so, so dumb. So I wondered whether it would be that and they would continue to think like, well, you can do remote now, but as soon as this is over, everyone's got to come back. Or like you said, would they think, okay, we can actually make these people work pretty much around the clock because they're at home. And Mm -hmm. can we get used to that? And I think what I'm finding is they're doing both. We're seeing both. We're seeing like, we don't want you homeschooling around. And, you know, if you can do this at 2 a.m., yeah, you can work remotely. Mm hmm. So very disappointing. It's not. It's not hard to imagine how industry veterans. Are you surprised, Ton? Are you surprised? They'll anything they can nickel and dime. They will. This is how. This is how corporations work. You are as as an employee, whether you're working in games or anywhere else, you are expendable. And the more that they get you to work, the more they they consider consider you to be valuable. Right. Whether or not your your personal integrity and mental health are preserved, they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. So, yeah, of course, you have a lot of boomer bosses at the beginning of this going, oh, no, you can't work from home. I can't because I don't know how to use a computer and I can't control what you're doing. And I don't know what Slack is, et cetera. So, <laughs> you know, 
I've oh so many. Uh, I've I've had friends have have so many issues with boomer bosses, where they 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 don't know how they don't have computers at home, so they don't know what to do. So they were going to the office and they couldn't. They didn't understand what servers were. They didn't understand what Perforce was. So it was it was it was showing how completely obsolete they were, and then having to come to terms with the fact that this person lords over us and yeah. doesn't know how to use a PC, <laughs> and we're supposed to be doing our work. So I, I think I think that for for game uh, the game industry one of the reasons why the game industry has absolutely thrived during the pandemic is not only because everybody's playing games because we're all we all need something to do and can, to connect with online, but because we were all prepared for this. Most yep. of us, most of us have PCs at home. Most of us uh, can work from home if we need to, and uh, and as long as you know you just have everybody on the server, everybody giving permissions because that was the big thing with AAA is they didn't want you working from home because of privacy reasons. Right. They didn't want your work to leak somehow. Um, and there are certain there are certain AAA studios that did have difficulty with this. I just heard Capcom had a lot of problems with people working from home, so they did have a roster of people who were still coming in. Um, but you know, but whether, whether that's voluntary or not, I can't say, I don't know, but, yeah. uh, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of bigger studios. I know that, uh, a couple of studios here, not good studios. were still asking people to come into work, uh, because again, because of permissions, they didn't want people to work from home. So they would rotate who would come in and who wouldn't, uh, hmm. or they would force, they would force workers to come in every week for a meeting that you absolutely did not need right, <laughs> for right. no reason. Um, but uh, as long as they complied with government rules, they were allowed to do it. And they, and because people don't want to lose their jobs, especially during the pandemic, everybody feels compelled to go in. Everybody feels compelled to do it. So, um, But games have adapted. where, And I think that's probably why, especially after the pandemic, because you were wondering whether or not this is going to continue after the pandemic. I think in the indie space, I think it certainly can. I don't yeah. see why not. I know even Double Fine, I mean, now they're owned by Xbox. Ugh. But, uh, but I Double don't Fine, think I'd they, heard that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, Double Fine is now owned by Xbox. They got bought out, I think, a month or two ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, was a, I was a little sad about that. But, um, and, but, Tim Shaver's fine with it, so we all have to be fine with it. Um, right. uh, but but a, a lot of a lot of uh, bigger indie studios have have been purchased by uh, AAA stuff in the in the last couple of months. But I think indie games are going to be just fine uh, being at home because we're used to this. We're used to making games on the fly. That's what we do. We don't need to all be in an office with five hundred people and have a scrum meeting every morning just to make a game work. Right. You know. No. I think we'll be fine. I think I think we are going to continue from home. I don't know about AAA. They'll probably have a little bit more flexibility in terms of uh, people going and coming from home because now that now that we've proven that we can do it, well, why not? Why would why would you spend two thousand dollars a month on rent for a studio space if everybody could just work from home? Why not? Yeah, it, it's cost effective to have people work from home, but I know bosses won't see it that way. Because they need to be doing something. Managers need to be managing. They need to be walking around. Exactly. exactly. Yes. <laughs> Making so, sure people are not on the YouTubes. <laughs> right. If um, if funding came through for Spaceboat, I, let's say a lot of funding came through, and you could put together exactly the team you wanted. I mean, what would that look like? Well, we have we are, we have uh, our friend Eugene, who is a top top shelf animator, who's been he worked for Sega, I think, for fourteen years. Nice. Um, 
who is technically a part of the team, but again, because because of everything that's happened, he hasn't been able to do anything yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had we we wanted to get our friend uh, who does music to uh, to do an entire like musical score because we do have songs written for Spaceboat. Uh, that that's something that we really really want to do. Um, and instead of doing it episodically, we we would want to make like a full forty hour adventure. Uh, and get most of our friends who are still working in AAA who don't want to work in AAA. Right. Because uh, the, the one thing that, that keeps AAA developers from leaving and going indie is, unfortunately, the money. Um, where AAA does pay well. And even though you'll lose your soul and you'll bur- burn out six times before you're 40, um, <laughs> it, it, ke- it keeps the lights on. It's, it's an unfortunate consequence of working at a company that is a, offers a stable job. Whereas indie games, you never know. You never know if a game is going to do well or not. Um, so if we did somehow, from some magical funding fairy, get, uh, let's say, a million dollars, we would we would spend it all on getting our friends out of AAA and working on the game with us and just continuing on the, the universe. Because this is a whole universe. Spaceboat is part of the uh, space trucking universe. Uh, which which started as again like little little shorts and TV series and things like that, but this would be the first game that would expand upon that universe. I I think the foundation for it is strong because um, you've said Muppets several times. That's that struck me from the trailer. Also, I thought there this gives me a strong Muppet vibe, and I say that in a great way because the the graphic quality of this is already very very high. It looks great. The uh, characters look great, and I could see this easily branching out to being that kind of thing. So uh, it's hilarious and awesome that you want to do songs for it and stuff like that. I I think that kind of thing would fit extremely well. And, um, you know, you say narrative adventure game, and I'm sure for some players they hear that and they think like sort of lower quality, like visual novel kind of thing. But this is much different than that. This is like almost sort of a Pixar quality to it. If you look at something like Sam and Max, I think Sam and Max for the day had pretty high quality. And um, all, all the 3D Sam and Max, I mean, I love Sam and Max, but uh, we yeah. wanted to go for something like that that has very tongue-in-cheek humor, but high quality. Um, there, are, there are many ad- adventure games that have good quality, like Deponia and Rocky. Rocky is amazing. I don't know if you played it last year. It was fantastic. Not yet. Um, no. Oh, so good. Uh, that had top-notch animation top top-notch quality but it was short it was you know you could finish the whole game in in five hours and that was it was done we wanted to do like a full a real full uh breathing adventure universe where you could just go off and like we said mass effect with muppets and without the combat that's pretty much it and even then we had actually we had actually debated like a monkey island style combat like you know monkey island they have the insult war so we, (laughs) we were thinking maybe something like that but eventually you know we thought no it just won't fit so but we we want that that old muppets humor to be part of the universe it's uh it's looking very promising in that area already uh the website's even funny like going through the blog and the the about section on the website already very funny stuff so (laughs) (laughs) so i'm hoping you you guys keep that up yeah well we we had debated getting rid of the because if you go on the about page there's the whole section about pizza and we we had debated getting rid of it but i said no 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 leave it it's good it's good it's funny because you, you we, we we took over the website from an old pizza store and <laughs> we just decided we decided you know what forget it we'll just leave it it's great it's wonderful and then and then of course the about section is 
we, we know you're wondering what all these pizzas are about, but, um, and, and it's true. We, we just decided to leave it instead of changing it because we thought it was very in character with the style of humor that's in the, we, we do have a pizza store in, uh, in space ball called pepperonos instead of pepperonis nice. uh, and we <laughs> the, that, that's the that's the kind of humor that we we inject into this we, we hope we hope people will find it funny i mean we know there are so many people who love games like sam and max so we hope that uh that they will enjoy it as well I couldn't tell if that would be such an awesome joke to other people, but for me as like a webmaster who gets it, like I felt like that joke was almost made just for me and I loved it. So yeah. 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 For for people for people who understand what it is to to make sites and take them over, that joke is just for you. Awesome. So uh, as we uh, this time has gone very fast, I feel like, but uh as we sort of wrap things up, um where are you trying to drive traffic to? Where can people check out what you're doing right now? Um, the best place I think is, uh, right now are all of our social media accounts. So, uh, Recombobulator Games uh, is our Twitter account, or I think it's Recombobulator G is it shortened to. Uh, that is very active, and we post updates every single day. So, whether it's a GIF or a, a picture or something, uh, th- that's probably our most active space. Uh, and then we we do have a Facebook page again, Recombobulator Games. It's it's we we post we post mostly updates from our website there. You can go to the website, which is just Recombobulator.ca. Um, but I I highly recommend going to the Twitter page uh, because we're going to have a lot more now that we're ramping up production again. We're going to have a lot more uh, things to share, a lot more gifts to share, a uh, lot more little little pictures, a lot more characters to share that we we want people's advice on. Uh, also, we just ordered some merch, so if you want some merch, that will be that will be uh, showcased there as well on Twitter, Recombobulator Games. And uh, I think that's it for now. Like I said, we won't have a, a Kickstarter at least until the summer. Um, but if you need to contact us, anybody wants to contact us, you can do do so through Twitter, through Facebook. Uh, you can do so through our webpage. We have a contact us uh, webpage, which is also funny. <laughs> and um, but we we do check everything every day. So if you do want to send us a message, please please do so through our social media, Recombobulator Games everywhere, and we will get back to you. And I know it's kind of a super unfair question at at this point in time, but do you know anything about what the timeline looks like from here? It depends on, on it depends on whether the funding fairy comes. So yeah. if we get if we do get good funding and we can uh, get more people to work on the project with us. Um, whether that be through government funding, whether that be through Kickstarter, we are hoping to have at least episode one early 2022. Um, so not not terribly far away. Uh, if uh, if not, then uh, we're, we're going to do our best. I mean, we're also looking we're also looking for publishers. If anybody wants to publish Spaceboat, ha ha ha, call, <laughs> give give me a call. Um, and uh, we're we're checking into what they offer in terms of uh, funding and in terms, because there, there are many wonderful uh, indie publishers like team 17, devolver digital uh, hit sense, Akupara, so many, so many wonderful indie publishers now uh, that help with porting and, and things like that. But um, many of them do take a very high percentage uh, of profits. Yeah. So as long as they would fund the game, we really wouldn't mind that. We really wouldn't mind, uh, sharing profits with them but uh the game has to do well because 
as somebody as somebody who's been bounced around several book publishers before, if mm. your book doesn't do well or your game doesn't do well, they won't be willing to do the the next one. I just heard about um, uh, what's it called the uh, Agro Crab, the guys who did uh, Going Under, which was so wonderful, so much fun. Uh, they didn't. Uh, I don't think they sold enough to get picked up again by Team Seventeen. So now they're looking for funding again. Um, so yeah, it's it's the it's the world of indie games. You have Terrible. to do the yeah. best. You have to do the best you can with what you have at the time and just hope for the best. Uh, so if we if we do get moderate funding, we hope at least episode one will be 2022. If we get a lot of funding, we'll just do everything. We'll do the whole game. And then again, it will be longer, but at least we'll have more people on the project with us. I, I hope you get to do a version of that. I, I really don't know what to hope for you in terms of like how how much funding and what expectations from maybe a publisher or something. But I, I hope you get to strike a comfortable balance, I guess, is my my hope for you. Ask ask the funding, whatever, whatever sources you have, Todd, ask the funding fairy for a million dollars. That would be very nice. I can say this. I've had several people come on the podcast and go, if anyone listening <laughs> does the following. And so far, I've not heard any great stories about that uh i do think one writer in the past maybe kind of got a little bit of help during the interview process because we mm-hmm. had just a very popular episode with him but i no publishers so far so any publishers uh <laughs> come check it out at least but uh are, are, i've had several canadian guests who some say that they're in areas where the government's very adamant about investing in games and others are yeah. like there are great grants if you want to like go into fishing or <laughs> something like that. Yes. So it depends where you live. If you live on the East Coast, because their industry is mostly oceans and fisheries, um, they will do anything to keep that from sinking. Yeah. Whereas tech is not that important. Here in Montreal, we are very lucky. We do have several funding ventures, but there are catches. Uh, you you know like like any funding venture like like any investment they sure. want to see certain things so for example uh, CMF is one of the biggest funding ventures here in Canada which is the Canadian Media Fund and they do give a lot of money to uh, indie games but they want to see specific things and seeing a game about Muppets and a cat in a spacesuit <laughs> is not something that they were particularly interested in. <laughs> They, it, it all it all has to do with um, what is going to make Canada look good. And now, if, if Spaceboat does really well on its own, and let's say it sells a million copies, and the CMF then the next year will come to you and go, oh, we see, you've sold a million copies. Because when they give you, when they give you grants here, you have to pay. If you succeed, you must pay it back. Mm-hmm. That's the catch in yeah. Canada. So they'll give you a million dollars. But if you make two million, they're going to take the two million. That's how it works. Um, so they, a lot of people have been able to make games, but if they're not successful, they don't get grants again. Um, so Ontario, I know, uh, Quebec here gives a lot of money to video game, uh, producers, which is why we have a lot of video game makers here. Uh, Ontario does as well. I know Calgary is now starting up. Um, I know that in Alberta, there are some, not many, because mostly, most of the subsidies for Alberta go to oil. Um, (laughs) and Vancouver, I believe there are some, but I really believe it's uh, mostly Ontario and Quebec. Honestly, I think it's just mostly because of the population. That's all. Um, yeah. Ontario and Quebec have the highest population. But depending on where you are, you can get amazing stuff from the government, uh, local, provincial government as well. But again, it depends on what you 
what you want to show. Do you want to show Canada in a really good? If we made a game that was all about Canada, oh yeah, sure, we would get tons of <laughs> we we would get tons of funding tomorrow. But uh, it has to do with that. There was the huge scandal in the uh, in the news about uh, you know Grimes, the music artist. Yeah. Um, she got a grant from Canada. She got a grant for I think a hundred thousand dollars, hundred ninety thousand dollars. And everybody said, what the heck are you giving her money for? She's a billionaire. Right. She's a billionaire married to a billionaire. Why are you giving her money? It's because it makes them look good. So they know that whatever album that she's going to put out next is going to make money. So if she takes the money, she takes uh, $100,000 and she makes a million dollars with it, they're going to take about half of that. So that's that's why. Um, That's unfortunately how the grant game works in Canada. You can get money. Um, and I have to say, I am very grateful for that, that our government does see the value in multimedia and in video games, especially. Um, but they, the second that you do well, they will siphon that as much as possible. So that's why a lot of uh, a lot of game developers like the Sea of Stars, the guys who did The Messenger, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're now doing Sea of Stars. And they decided instead of going to the government, they went, forget it. Well, everybody knows The Messenger now. So we'll just kickstart Sea of Stars. And I think yeah. they got two million dollars or something like that. And I can't. I, I back to. I can't wait for it. It's great. But that's why they do it because they can keep that money and they're not beholden to anybody. Whereas the second you take a dollar from the government, you have to do what they want. So it's a double-edged sword. And I, I think I saw that uh, Luis has accounting expertise. So between you, yeah. I'm sure you're going to uh, figure this out. <laughs> you know what? You know, it's funny is we actually uh, he won the honorarium for uh, the 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 game awards, the, fu- the future class. And he got to sit in on uh, a meeting with uh, uh, Reggie fils And mm-hmm. Reggie fils said he also started, I think he started in um, not accountancy, but he started in, uh, uh, he, he started also in banking. He worked oh. in banking and then he went on to marketing because he didn't like it. And then he decided he loved video games. So he decided to do marketing for video games. And that's how he got into Nintendo. Luis was sitting there and we were laughing because that's exactly what happened to him. He his he, At the time, you know, going into video games 20 years ago was not seen as a viable profession. So, of course, right. you know, cla- cl- classic, classic family thing is you're, you're going to go into accounting and make money. So he <laughs> went into accounting and he hated it. And while he was in accountancy, he started doing uh, 3D animation on the side. He saw a reboot and he fell in love huh. with it. And uh. he wanted to and he wanted to be an animator. So he started doing he, he started working with Soft Image. Oh my gosh, so old. <laughs> but he started working with Soft Image by himself and he started animating by himself and then he uh, got to be a junior animator. I think Tube Studios was his first job. And yeah, that was it. He just went from there. But he 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 was an account accountancy and he absolutely hated it. So he can, but kids listening, math does help because he does all of the, all of the scripts and the programming for Spaceball by himself because of, because of math that I don't understand. So sure. uh, it, it, it works. It worked for him. He, it did help him in, in some respect, but yes, he is. He is also an accountant. Yeah. Can't believe you said reboot. I think he and I would be great friends. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I can't absolutely. help it. <laughs> well, uh, this has been fantastic. I'm I'm really excited about what I've seen from Spaceboat so far. I think uh, I think people are going to really enjoy following the development of this one. It seems like a, a cool thing to be in on uh, at the start. So uh, I'll be watching. I would encourage other people to check it out, and maybe we can get an update from you guys before too long. Absolutely, um, anytime, anytime that we're not having a flood. That you, <laughs> yes, any, <laughs> that like- any dry time. 
yeah, that you would you would like us to to come back on the show, we'd be more than happy to share updates. That, again, that's one of the reasons why we left AAA. That this way we could just tell everybody what we're what we're doing and what we're working on to get people excited about it. Awesome. Well, uh, good luck from here, and uh, we'll look forward to checking out more soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Todd. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, we would love to have you subscribe anywhere. Hit that follow button on Spotify. We have show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. You can subscribe to our new newsletter if you would like to get game industry news, game development resources, you name it. Once a week, check out CodeWritePlay.com and click on that newsletter tab. You just put in your email and we will take care of the rest. We'll not bug you very often. Reach out on social media. You can find at GameDevPod, which is the podcast, CodeWritePlay, and me, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddZilla with one D and two L's. Love hearing from you, your feedback, your questions, your topics. Love it all. Find our uh, Discord server at CodeWritePlay.com. Uh, hang out with us during the week. We're your virtual co-workers all week long. That's it for this time. We'll be back with more great stuff in just a few days. So for Game Dev Breakdown and for CodeWritePlay, Todd Mitchell here saying take care, everybody. Talk to you real soon. Congratulations on your Game Dev Breakdown, whatever that is. It sounds idiotic to me.